Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Hi, everyone. It's uh, Roxanne Durhodge. How are you today? So glad you're tuning in yet again uh, to hang out with me with Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today, I have this amazing soul, Taco Ney, who is uh, someone that's based out of Rome. And we had the privilege of meeting um, at an amazing women's conference uh, where I was exposed to Taco's work. And when I heard the kind of work that she was doing in the world, I thought it was so necessary that she come on and have a conversation with us. Taco is an author and an advocate for women's issues. And most recently, I would say she has put out something in the market that she's just released um, to help us understand the plight or the stories of women um, via some of the art in her in her book. So Taco, thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks, Roxanne. It's a privilege to be here with you today. So, Taco, you know, I'm always amazed um, when I see women that take the path to work um, in the world with women. But let's start with the book. Tell me, tell us a little bit about the book. The book um, is called Women. Um, tell us a little bit about that book, and then we'll, we'll kind of talk a little bit about what brought you to the space with the kind of work you've been doing for years to create this book. That's a very important question, Roxanne, because I've been working on gender equality and women's empowerment for the last 25 years. And when I embarked on this kind of work, I, I thought by now, 25 years later, my work would no longer be needed because women will be empowered with resources, with education, with opportunities, with an equal voice to sit at the decision-making table. So it seems like not only we are not progressing um, quickly enough, but there are many instances where we are even witnessing um, a reversal of gains, whether we are talking about reproductive rights, if we are talking about women's right to own land of the same quantity, of the same quality as men, if we are talking about women's right to, be, to have education, there are still many countries where uh, very few girls have access to educational opportunities. And uh, to have opportunities to break free from poverty, and marginalization and discrimination and abuse and inequalities. So we are not moving fast enough. So um, you began wondering after spending 25 years of organizing all these big women's empowerment conferences of collecting and analyzing data that tell the story about the extent of gender inequalities of networking with other women 
of implementing projects and programs for women's empowerment of the ground, uh, after all of that effort uh, and seeing how much more is needed, you wonder whether we shouldn't try something different. Mm -hmm. So I twenty five. So twenty five years later, you thought we would be further along than where we are today, and with women's in, in um, issues internationally. I thought. I thought because one of the triggers that that brought me into this kind of work is that about twenty six years ago, I was in a small village in Africa, and I was puzzled to see a young lady maybe 16 years old, she was pregnant. She had the baby on her back and she went to fetch water. So she's been already married for a few years. So there you have issues of um, child marriage, child pregnancy, and with all the, all the issues that come with it. So it really uh, triggered a lot of not only emotion, but also uh, just this desire to better understand what are the norms, the cultures, the factors that trigger that kind of inequality. So I started talking to the women and I found out that there were schools, but girls were not sent to the schools because they didn't have separate toilets and the parents didn't want to send their girls to schools where they would be mixed with boys. I saw that they were, you know, maternal health centers, but women wouldn't go there because the staff was male and the men in the community didn't want their wives to be examined by a male staff. So there were a lot of issues that really made me wonder about the complexity uh, of the issues, because then it meant it's not good enough to just come and put in a school or come and put in a healthcare center or other infrastructure, unless you engage and you understand the cultures, the traditions, the underlying issues, the norms, the behaviors that fuel uh, gender inequality, then you are not cracking the nut. So um, with that in mind, I, I decided to dedicate myself to empowering women and girls worldwide. and. I've worked with different organizations in different regions. And um, so this idea of the book is really about how do I use art as a call to action, to touch hearts, to dialogue, to have these conversations. So let's talk about art, right? Because now, Taco, I'm very, very jealous of people like you that have expressions of art, because <laughs> I gotta tell you a story, this is funny, but it's not funny. One of my very best friends, in, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, and uh, went to this you know, all girls private school. And I was so bad at art that I made her do my art. And then the teacher found out. And my friend has since gone on and done major art, but that was a funny story, we were 12 years old. <laughs> my teacher said, is that your work? And I'm like, of course, it's my work. <laughs> then she goes, I don't think so, Miss Ramuta. Um, but it's it's that expression. You know, I always say that most of us have a gift. And clearly, 
and the pieces of art that I saw in Rome that you displayed when you were speaking, it, it's a profound deep space that you are able to pull out something to express it, right? Like I would say, I'm a writer. That's how I express my emotions. But art gets us down into a deeper, deeper level, um, almost like music does. So tell me about your process and how do you create these, these one-of-a-kind kind of expressions? So the, the book and the art in itself has been a conversation. Mm a conversation with about 80 women worldwide of different age, of different cultural background, whom I just engaged in a conversation like we're having today, but it was during the lockdown. So of course it was online. So I asked them to reflect on a few very basic questions. The first one being, what makes women cry? Mm. What makes women happy? And then I got them to express themselves about power dynamics, power relations between women and men. Um, and then I asked them for solutions. I also engaged them on how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted them. And um, so based on that, I crafted the book. Uh, I had my artworks and there's some of the artworks that were also triggered by the conversations that I was having. Mm. And what I found out is that all women are poets. I mean, it's the, the, the contributions are beautifully written. Mm. The women I engaged with, they were very generous. In, in giving a lot of themselves in their message. Mm. A friend of mine, and, and she's, she's a senior official in an international organization. So this is a woman who is economically empowered and is well-placed in the hierarchy of the organization. So when she decided to write on female genital mutilation performed on her, Wow. It's deep, right? And you just wonder, this is an educated woman from a family where both the mother and the father are educated. Mm. And yet she was exposed to violence against women. And I'm insisting on this one because, as you know, we are currently now um, celebrating this campaign that, that, that comes in November every year. It's the 16 days of campaign against gender-based violence. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was launched in November up to uh, December. And um, so the testimonials were deep. Um, another one is battling with breast cancer. And she's a single mother and the father of the child didn't want to have anything to do with it. Mm. So to hear her say, you know what, every day I wake up, I look at my son who is seven years old, and I wonder if one day he will be saying, mommy, and I wouldn't be there for him. Mm. 
and I'm wondering who would take care of, of him. So it, it was really, um, some of the, the contributions made me cry because they were very, um, they were very deep. Another friend has been battling HIV AIDS for 30 years. And she's expressing how it is even impossible to date or to even, you know, to be that you are still stigmatized and you still have to address multiple inequalities and, and discrimination. Of course, you have the usual issues around land rights, with women being denied land property. And, uh, you know, in many cultures, there is still this idea that the man is the, the breadwinner of the family, it's the head of the family. And giving the land to women is losing it to another family because she would get married and leave the community. So therefore there's still so many countries where women's right to access or inherit own or lease or transfer land is, is very limited. Um, there are also many communities where we still have food taboos. I heard last time a friend from Chad was telling me that in, in some communities in his country, women are denied uh, to eat chicken or eggs. So nutrient-dense food because of food taboos. And originally it's because, you know, they were not, good health care centers. And of course, so if a woman is pregnant with a big baby, it creates issues. But mm. the culture is still there, <laughs> although that situation has, has changed. So there, there is a lot, a lot of issues, the marginalization in decision-making processes, uh, the denial of the right to education, the heavy workload, that there's still many places where women have to walk kilometers every day to get a bucket of water or firewood. Um, the issues around violence, the rape, um, you know, bride kidnapping. There's still many countries where, you know, a woman is abducted, raped, and becomes the bride of that man because then her family rejects her. And, um, you know, she becomes married to the man and bears his children. So th th there's still a lot of issues and you just wonder, what else can I do additionally? How do I amplify the voice and diversify the ways of communicating? How do I touch the emotions, the, the heart? So, so basically that's what the, the book is about. So you said that women are poets, and I, I think, I mean, clearly these are powerful stories, Stucco. Like, you know, um, in my career path, my path is definitely with women's issues, but I, as a psychologist, I took a different path. And I, you know, um, one of my areas of specialties um, as when I practiced was um, complex PTSD and trauma, right? So, you know, um, dealing with sexual assault, sexual abuse, of um women right and you know nothing like humbling uh, being put to your knees when you you unfortunately and i you know i was put there to obviously uh, guide women and help them heal but very very powerful you know um when you hear these stories 
you know, because there's a part of you that that says why, right? And what 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 can you do? And all I did was use, you know, what I knew to to help healing. But you're right; it's so important. Going back to your whole concept of what can we do? And you said that in your book, women came up with solutions. Let's talk about this, right? Yes, we are. I think we have made changes, but there is definitely more need to rally so that we as women that are privileged, like you said, um, in, in so many capacities, what are some of the solutions that the women in the book came up with that what are some of the top ones that you thought of or innovative ones that you think might be useful um, for people to know about? Well, education always, you know, comes on top. Um, one of the contributors actually um, shared her life story because uh, she was explaining that she is from a polygamous family and her mother never went to school. But when she got married to the father who was already polygamous, um, she made it clear that she absolutely wanted her daughter to be educated. Uh, it was a fight, but at the end she got educated and now she's a woman leader in her country. And she was praising her mom who, although not having had the opportunity to go to school, understood the importance of education in a girl's empowerment. Mm -hmm. And for her mom, the most important was for her to be educated, not, not married. So education came before her finding a, a good husband, which is very unusual in that community. So education comes first. And one of my paintings talks about girls rising and it's, um, it's emphasizing the uh, importance of, of education. Uh, of course, uh, also in relation to the kind of work that I do, we know that there are many commitments, there are many legal frameworks, the laws, the gender provisions in national constitutions. The commitments are there. The issue is the practice. Mm -hmm. Because if you have high levels of illiteracy, women cannot even read about their rights. So and you can have the system in place, but the, the inability to read and to understand what is being said, may, women may not know that those rights are actually there and could be you know, part of them if they don't even know what it's saying in those bills, like you're saying. Yes, and, and there are many communities where you have you know, the, the, the first port of call for a woman in a remote community is the informal justice system. Because it's difficult for her to reach out to the city and financially it is also quite an investment to go to the city and get a lawyer and she may not even understand all the intricacies of the justice system. So... Um, there are many places where you have this duality between the, you know, the, the, the laws, the informal laws in place, the way that communities deal with certain issues, and, and the law. Mm -hmm. So um, just to say laws are good, policy documents are good, but we should really make sure that their impact is felt 
by rural women, you know, in, in the small villages. Mm -hmm. um, so some of the, uh, some of the uh, solutions were also about uh, this global sisterhood or local sisterhood, the mentoring of women that, you know, some women take it upon themselves to mentor other women so that they can, um, they can also rise up and um, there's also, there was also um, proposals around gender parity. How do you make sure that women also uh, participate in shaping the decisions that will impact their lives? And in there, you usually have two views. Some, some feel that, yes, we should, we should bring our chair and sit at the table. Some feel that we should carve our own table. If you're not included in the main table, let's carve our, our own table. And um, some think that maybe uh, that table is not at all good for us because uh, we don't want in the mainstream, if the mainstream is based on structural inequalities that shape a system that is fueled with inequalities, we don't want even to sit there. This was such a great interview that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. Be sure to tune in next week for part two, so you don't miss out on the amazing content. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.